Welcome to Men Talk, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of miscarriage, infertility, infant loss, and stillbirth. Hosted by Daniel Landau, founder of menshelpline.org, we'll be sitting down every week with real guys to discuss their stories, struggles, and triumphs. So grab a drink, sit tight, and let's talk. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Men Talk podcast, where men talk about miscarriage, infant loss, stillbirth, and infertility. I'm very excited about today's guest. Our guest is John Waldman. He's the author of a really exciting and great book called Swimming Aimlessly. John, the floor is yours. Feel free to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your journey and the book, and we'll go from there. For sure. First of all, thank you very much for reaching out and for for having me on today. It's uh, it's a true pleasure to speak. Um, You know, I've, I've been speaking about infertility for years, but for the opportunity to speak to a male group like this is a, a little bit more unique and certainly I appreciate the opportunity. So I guess the best way to, to start is simply that when we were trying to conceive, um, it took quite some time for us to get pregnant in the first place. Um, we ended up unfortunately having a miscarriage eight weeks into the first pregnancy. And given that we'd already been trying for a large number of months, uh, we were told that in, that we can sort of accelerate the process of getting into a fertility specialist. Um, the next six years were a harrowing journey. We tried some of the drugs that we're all familiar with, letrozole, Clomid, et cetera, um, ended up uh, trying IUI, uh, intrauterine insemination locally, um, but did not find our success and not find a clear path. So we ended up going halfway across Canada to Victoria. Uh, For anybody who's in the U.S., that's roughly the same as going from Minnesota to Seattle and ended up finding our success there. So along the way, I started to, because I was was a male going into a local support group uh, for couples and being one of the few men that were there, I was approached to start talking to media about being a male as part of an infertile couple and sort of took the ball and ran with it from there. I'd spoken at a number of conferences, spoken uh, to, a number, to a number of podcasts, um, gave a TED talk in 2017, and ultimately wrote a book, uh, Swimming Aimlessly, uh, that was published last year in 2021. That's quite a journey. And the fact that you got on podcast is, you know, that, that's really great because it really is important for men to be sharing their stories because it's not just the woman going through the journey, the men are suffering. I mean, to travel across the country, that must have been a story in itself why you chose that, you know, that particular facility. I'm sure you probably have stories from, I don't know if you flew from the different parts of the country or you drove, uh, but I'm sure there are yeah. stories on that drive or on that flight. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we did end up doing a drive um, because we were going to be out uh, in Victoria for a month um, between having, a, having an Airbnb, first of all, for a month was, uh, was, was a big part of it. But um, we were going to be monitored um, in advance um, and, then on the, and then following as well uh, to, just to see how, the, how everything took and if there were any extra protocols, et cetera. Uh, what made Victoria unique in the first place was that they were a little bit more exploratory. They were a little bit more, shall we say, exper- experimental with the drug protocols that they were utilizing rather than what was happening in Winnipeg or 
quite frankly, happening in other places across Canada. So we did the we did do the drive, and what I'll say is that the drive there was a lot better than the drive back. Um, we drove in mid October, which is you know normal normal fall weather as it is across the U.S. and in a number of other countries. But on the way back, this was around Remembrance Day in Canada, around November 11th, and as soon as we crossed the border between British Columbia and Alberta, there was instant snowstorm. And the quote-unquote highlights of the drive back included seeing a tree on the other, opposite end of the highway falling over onto the road, seeing a truck that had, that had rolled over uh, onto the side of the highway on our side, and just clutching that steering wheel for all my all I could and just focused on nothing else but getting on the road while my wife, uh, who was then carrying our, our child and our dog, who was hyperactive at the best of times, um, panicking a little bit as he was wondering what the heck was going on around him. So never mind that we had a lot of our house packed into our, uh, into, our, into our Toyota and accompanying us on the drive. So it was certainly not the most pleasant drive that I've ever had, um, but certainly getting through it made... Uh, there was no question I was going to get through it one way or another. What were some of the outlets that, that you took throughout the process? Not necessarily just the drive, but going to the a new fertility clinic across, across the country, you know, uh, having miscarriage or loss, going through the fertility. I mean, what were some highlights on your journey? Like what, how did, how did you deal with it? Um, in all honesty, I didn't deal with it well. Um, there weren't the supports um, that you see today, um, podcasts like this one, um, Facebook groups, et cetera, that are available as an outlet for men to talk with other men. Um, I mean, it sounds strange, but this was 2013, 2014, and Facebook looked a lot different than it does now, uh, not just fit superficially, but this was a time when Facebook wasn't being utilized to its true advantage. Um, there, at the time, there were, you know, the Facebook uh, boom had already taken place and was in a sort of a bust region for the echo now where people are utilizing it better for groups and for private conversations, et cetera. Um, and certainly men at the best of times are have trouble talking and they didn't have the, the avenue available. So for me, the only true outlet was a support group that both my wife and I attended. Um, the first time that I attended, um, she was able to help get more men out. And there was, it was a, an encouragement for couples to attend together. Uh, but slowly after that, the male attendance started to dissipate. So I really didn't have anybody uh, male that I could speak with. So instead, I was, I, I was in this, this community um, didn't really have um, the confidence or the feeling that I could talk to a lot of my male friends in general about it. Um, I ended up going through a couple of therapists, uh, had to go on a medication for to deal with the depression and anxiety that was already a pre-existing condition for me, but was heightened by the fertility journey. And other than that, you know, like there wasn't a lot that I could do. I, I internalized a lot of things as men do. We don't communicate the same way that women do. We don't um, open ourselves up. And it really got to some dark times for myself. And 
it only took, you know, until I was almost at rock bottom uh, emotionally in order for me to actually open up and to smarten up about being able to talk. Were you like some of the other guys who I've spoken to have basically said, you know, there weren't really people to talk to. I couldn't really communicate with my spouse. I hit rock bottom. I, I held on to it for so long. And then one day it just popped. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's, I think that's the way that most men would describe it. hundred um, percent. There's a certain point where I think that we all get to where it's sort of that fight or flight. And, you know, there's cases on both sides of what, guys do and what women do in all fairness um but i feel that yeah there there is that that moment um other people call it the flip the switch moments or what have you um but there's really that there really is that defined piece and i think that once you hit that you see it and it's you can after you go through a journey whatever the end result is you end up looking back and seeing all these different things. Um, you know, for example, I can I can think to an innocuous time where I really felt the infertility the hardest for one of the first times was running into an old classmate outside of a Greek market. And her saying that after I just described that I don't have any kids yet, her, her saying, you better catch up. So something that's complete, in theory, completely innocent, but it just sticks with you like that. And, that, and I think that's what guys do is they, we tend to, to find that moment and dwell on it. I mean, every, you ask guys, you know, where they were when, um, you know, when Cal Ripken broke, a base, broke the record for the most consecutive baseball games or when the Berlin Wall fell or um, any um, a number of other historical points and they can vividly recall it. And, and I think that it's, you know, it's not just for those moments, but it's for um, anything in our lives that we, that we internalize and we keep as part of our overall journey. And I think that it's something that you, you really need never forget. And, and, and in, in cases like this, um, it almost is a trauma and you end up feeling a little bit of PTSD after and you end up feeling all these different emotions and you're not really sure how to deal with them, to be quite honest. You're 100% right. You know, I'm, when you mentioned that, uh, that girl mentioned to you, you know, you got to catch up. I'm actually surprised that she said that because obviously you hear that a lot of people always say, you know, you got to have kids, you got to have kids, you got to have kids, but people don't realize it's not so easy just to have kids, right? The entire lifetime we're taught in school that, yeah, sperm meets the egg and that's how, that's how a baby is born. Right. But nobody's ever talking about miscarriage. No one's ever talking about, you know, the IVF process, the IUIs, all of these things. And I wonder what can we do to educate people? Do we need to go back to the school system and to say, hey, sex education needs to talk about miscarriage, needs to talk about fertility treatments, needs to talk about surrogacy, all the different topics that society is now starting to, to accept? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because I was speaking for the book um, with Karen Jeffries, who runs uh, Larry's Name Fertile, the popular Instagram channel. And her response was the same as mine is that, you know, you, you, you go through school, you know, you start, it starts a little bit in elementary, maybe around grade four or grade five, as our bodies start to uh, go through puberty. And you're just given this roadmap of, okay, when you, when a man and woman love each other, and depending on which, uh, 
which religious discipline you uh, you pay attention to most, or how or how uh, deep into orthodoxy you are, or conservative, etc. Um, there's a, it, it just happens. There, there's no um, recognition that there's a certain time of the month when you have to be at that right time and at that right place, etc. Um, there, and I think that there really does have to be more education, and it does fall upon the schools to to start it. Um, you look at, and it has to happen almost almost as soon as stu- as you as students learn about sex ed in, in the very first time, you know, because there's a lot of people that already will know by that point that they that they weren't conceived naturally, they uh, were adopted, or whatever the case may be. So, for to give students this information about how babies are made, but knowing that they weren't made in that traditional sense. It really does have to start there. And if, as you get later on and then you can get into, you know, some of the biology classes. I mean, we've all, we all have seen the video, the birthing videos. We've seen all the, um, different, uh, explanations that we get in biology class or, uh, whatever class it might be, um, depending on what school system you went through. You get this very blanket view of what's reproduction is but you don't know you don't get the education that's you know sometimes IBFs require sometimes you require um, medical assistance and it be, where it becomes hard is that there are, are individuals parents people with different cultural religious backgrounds that don't want those to be taught but ultimately it had it's something that needs to be done um you there's a, I talk in the book about the different religious beliefs around IVF and other assisted uh, reproductive technologies. But the bottom line is, is that where if no matter which religious discipline you follow, the, the commandment is pretty much the same. It's not just Judeo-Christian, but to be fruitful and multiply. And there's a human instinct to have children for the vast majority of the population. So you have to be able to address them. You have to be able to address it carefully and wisely to students the same way that you do any sort of uh, education about sex and reproduction. Yeah, we got to we got to go back to the drawing board and figure out how we can educate educators. I don't think it just I don't think it just goes back to educators. I think it even goes back to the doctors in, in the hospitals and the nurses and everybody out there because no one ever asked me when I was in the clinic how are you doing, right? Everybody thinks the number one thing and is that patient in that, in, in that room, having that miscarriage, going through the IVF, getting the retrieval, but never once did a mental health professional or a physician ask, how are you doing? I mean, there has to be education on, on that level as well. I mean, it's just insane how men are just left in silence, so to speak, to try and figure it out on their own. Because we're, we're always told you know, be strong, you know, be there for your spouse, go back to work, work hard. You know, all you have to do is, you know, provide, provide the sperm and she does everything else. Like, Yeah. And and it's, it's, it's not fair like that. And, you know, certainly, I I mean, I can remember being when we, when we had our first miscarriage was I did, I I was just stoned, just complete stone at that point. I had no idea how to react. And obviously, you know, in the days following, a lot of people, the people, the few people that we spoke to about what we were going through or knew that we were even pregnant, 
um, spoke to my wife and to see how I was doing, but I don't think that everybody asked me how I was doing. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a big societal thing where if you look at how men are treated in general and you look at how we are supposed to be robotic, we're supposed to be that rock of support, but every rock has a crack in it somewhere. And we're like rocks, you know, we, rocks fall apart. If you smash a rock up, it's gonna break. So think about this kind of trauma that you're experiencing and be, and you start to feel what it is you've actually gone through. Um, and it's, it's, it's extremely hard to explain it to somebody who's never gone through it. You can try to, to verbalize it, you can try to put it into words, into a book or, or what have you. Um, but it's, it's unless someone has gone through it themselves and unless somebody has experienced this sort of thing, either themselves or someone close to them, it's extremely hard to really feel what it is like. It definitely is, especially since a lot of times it's not just that they haven't experienced, they don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes people say, oh, you'll get pregnant at some point or I'm sorry, but yet they have no idea what's real, what it's really like. It's what I like to call an exclusive club. You know, somehow we got chosen for this, but the truth is we're not alone. The guy to your left, the guy to your right could have gone through it. One in four couples, one in four pregnancies end in a miscarriage. One in eight couples struggle with infertility. One in 160 births ends in stillbirth and one in a thousand babies die of SIDS. So the, the, the statistics out there is that likely someone to your left, someone to your right will have gone through it at some point. So I, I think it's, definitely needs to change on how people react and how to deal with it, even in the workplaces. I mean, they're in paternity. I mean, now there's councils of paternity leave in the United States. So there's gotta be some things that we can do as, as men to, to change this, change this conversation, make people feel more comfortable talking about it because there's nothing really to be ashamed of. There's, there, there shouldn't be that guilt factor. There shouldn't be, but, and this is where you're battling in general, and, and obviously you can talk about it specifically within infertility, you can speak about it within alcoholism, you can speak about it in depression, anxiety. It goes back to the simple facets of men being taught for decades, for centuries, to rub dirt on it and get back in the game. It's a huge societal change that has to happen. There, it go, It's a step beyond anything that one group can control or one group can voice. Um, you know, you can think about somebody that's going through cancer or, the, or any sort of other uh, debilitation. It's so difficult to talk about because of, because of, what's, of what society has dictated that men talk or men don't talk about. And largely, men don't talk. Um, if you want to change the conversation, if you want to change the dialect, you have to first change the surroundings on it. And... Certainly there are people that are afraid to say the wrong thing. And when you hear stories about, you know, oh, if you guys just had some, had a couple of drinks and went to the back of your parents' Chevy, or if you, um, you know, just relaxed or, you know, it'll happen when it's not, when you're not thinking about it. Well, that advice doesn't help. The most important thing though, at the very points of simplicity is that we're born with two ears and one mouth, which means we have to do a lot more listening than we do talking. And that's a hard concept for a lot of people to grasp. So the, ultimately the best thing to do is just to 
to listen and to look for what the signs are that someone needs to talk. And it's not something that's always there, but sometimes it's just reading someone's inflection, seeing what going into a situation, what the discomfort might be and seeing what's, you know, just read those signs, read the room as we, as we, as is a popular idiom today. Yes, definitely. How did you decide to write the book? Obviously, you know, you were, were you approached or did you feel like you just need to get out there your story to help you cope with it? What, what was the behind the scenes aspect of, of your book? Um, in all honesty, I had already written a couple books. Um, I, I, I've been, I had written four books before this one came about. Um, and I was always, because I'd already been inclined with that and I was already, um, I'd been in, graduated from journalism school and was working in marketing, I was looking at the ways to communicate things out properly. And I'd done a number of radio shows. I'd done newspaper interviews, did the TED Talk in 2017, and I just felt like there was a next step that had to happen. And it came to writing a book. I'd already started to just journal a little bit or you know, do a couple of submissions for, um, for a couple of websites, et cetera. But I just felt like the full, in order to tell the full story and to look at infertility and male factor infertility, it had to come in book form, in all, in all honesty. And writing the book was therapeutic. There was no question. But at the same time, it was tough to relive a lot of the more, the hard, the, the harder parts of the, of the overall journey. Um, you know, I can remember writing the mental health chapter that I did, and it was one of the longest chapters in the book, and just needing to stop two or three times along the way because I needed, because it was, I was trying to get a little bit of that relapse to, and feeling, and those feelings creeping back up of inadequacy, et cetera. So I needed to take a slow burn approach on some, in some areas in that respect, um, but the more that I did it, the more people that I spoke with, the more men that I, uh, male patients that I spoke with, the individuals who were therapists, the individuals who were psychologists, doctors, and the whole nine yards, it made the process a lot easier. And the more that I wrote and the more that I saw that people were already starting to pay attention as I was talking about the book, the more that drove me to, to bring it to completion and to bring it to, to publish. Incredible. Are there any specific chapters or highlights from the book that you want to highlight that you think our listeners should, obviously they should get a copy of the book. We'll explain to them how they can get a copy of the book, but is there any specific highlights from the book that you think are important? I think that there's um, the question. I think that's the one that I, the one that was most interesting for me to write was about family members because so often and it goes back to our sphere as men where we internalize everything we keep it in ourselves we don't necessarily look at the full picture though we don't look at how our infertility our inability to to have a to have a child affects our loved ones not i'm not speaking about our our wife or our partner i'm speaking about our parents our our siblings our grandparents um and we and we often will often talk about how there's um, you know the, a lot of the push comes from them, but it's a longing from them as well because for a parent they want to be a grandparent, for uh, grandparents they want to be old enough to and be alive to see a great grandchild, 
And I think that that's something that's, it, it's a topic that we don't talk, that isn't talked about a lot in general um, of how infertility really affects a full family. Um, so from that perspective, I think that that's, a, that's a very important person to talk about. Um, on a, I guess on a lighter note, um, I talk about the, my own journey into the little room. And I think that there are, that there's a, I share a couple of stories uh, of other, that other people uh, shared with me, but I think that it's, that that piece of it, um, and along with the, with the full chapter that I devoted to the language of infertility and how a lot of us incorporate humor into it is extremely important as well. I think that we don't do, and that, it, and it's hard to do this. It's a hundred percent hard to, to, to have that laugh and to be able to smile as you're going through all this, but it's so important to do. And thankfully, there are people like, like I was mentioning, Hilarious Women Fertile before. And even in, when I was doing my TED Talk and as I was writing the book, I knew that I had to in, incorporate a little bit of lightheartedness into it. And I think we don't do enough um, in this struggle and whatever struggle you are in life to be able to, to, laugh, to laugh, not just at yourself, but just to laugh about your situation in general. I mean, the perfect example of where we are in Winnipeg right now, we're now into... Uh, around April 25th when we're recording and we just had another snowfall last night. We are now the, this is the second worst winter that we've had on record. We've got potholes all over our streets. We've got rainstorms that just happened. And yet we're able, we're able to go on as a community, we're able to go on Twitter and Facebook and make laughs about it. And it's how we deal with these harsh conditions. That's the only way we're getting through it, quite honestly. So in that same light, you have to be able to have a little bit of a of a laugh and have a little bit of a not an enjoyment, but to be able to take a night off and do like we did, like me and my wife did. We met up with a few uh, other families who were going through the fertility journey, and we just we went to a local pizzeria. Uh, we got a private room. We had a few wines and just kicked up, kicked back, and actually just. For, the, for one of the rare times being able to just sit back and let ourselves have, have that moment of enjoyment and be able to laugh with people and to commit to commiserate but to also have a couple of laughs with people that are in the same in the same terminal line as you are and that's really important i mean so many times i hear from couples i hear from i hear from people that yeah laughter definitely helps and you need to have that especially when you're going through these challenging times but really that space to go out with another friend who's gone through it or that space to just take a vacation and, and to not necessarily forget about it, but just to relax because it is so stressful. It is very timely. It's very, you know, every night you got to give that shot, you know, your retrievals at a certain time, the transfers at a certain time, there's that stress that goes along with it and that added pressure. You just need time to just relax and to not necessarily think about it. I mean, especially, if you talk about the two week wait, I mean, that's in itself is, is a struggle and waiting yeah. for the blastuses for five days, how many embryos stayed, how many didn't, I mean, you need that sense of humor. You need that vacation. You need that relaxation. Absolutely. And the toughest thing for me, because we, when we had our transfer um, that day, I had to fly back to Winnipeg. My, my employers were, very generous and let me work remotely before before we really knew what remote working was amid COVID. Um, but they but they were they they knew I, I needed to be back in the office at a certain point. Unfortunately, that day that I needed to be back in, at the office was the day after a transfer. 
So the two week waits for my wife being being in Victoria and for me being at home in in Winnipeg, it was very it was very different experiences. Um, you know, the the therapy for her is that we had a friend out there and she and we she had our dog with her, with her. I was essentially alone um, at home, other than having I mean we had a little bit of a regular life, but certainly not a full regular life that that usually happens. Um, but yeah, it's it's so important within those times to try to to try to stay easy, to try to stay comfortable, to try to stay relaxed. And even in that the five day period, yeah, you're you're on edge, so you have to try to do things differently and to try to just keep your mind off it. And for us, and a lot of people have reflected this also, is by building travel into your fertility journey by doing a road trip or being just out of out of your own space gives you a little bit more of that of that opportunity because you're able because you're not going back to your job you're not going back to um you know you're not seeing friends seeing family the same way that you normally would um, and that's why a lot of people do choose to make a to make a vacation out of it yeah that's really good advice what would you say your biggest piece of advice to a guy going through miscarriage, this fertility journey, what are your biggest takeaways and how, how, how would you suggest to, to others going through it to, to deal with it? As simple as it sounds, but as hard as it sounds, it's the talk. And to everybody, it's a different mode of achieving that. For some people, it's, you know, creating an anonymous name on Twitter or uh, a blog and writing out your feelings electronically. Other people is calling a helpline. Other people is reaching out to friends in one way or another. Or weird people like me, it's going on broadcast television and, ta- and telling your story. Um, but honestly, then it, it, it is simply just that, just to talk, to just take that fearless step. You will cry, you will it'll tear you up inside, but as soon as you get it out, you feel better. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you feel. The more that you talk to your spouse, the more that you talk to your family, the more that you talk to your friends, the more that you talk to the professionals, whatever the case may be, it gets easier each time. And I think whatever stream it was that got me to where I am today, that I'm able to do this now and be able to not only do it for myself, but to do it for others. And I think that's, you know, if for anybody listening, you know, I, I keep my DMs on Instagram and Twitter open and I've had phenomenal conversations with people as a result of it. And I'm going to keep it open because if I can reach somebody and or someone wants to reach out to me, I, I, I accept those conversations greatly. And if it, and if it ends up being me that you're the first person, that's, that's the first person to meet, that you speak with. I, I consider it an honor and privilege, and I certainly hope that uh, for anybody listening, that if you do need that conversation to happen, you know, if, I, if there's any way that can be of assistance, I'm happy to do so. Isn't it incredible how going through a struggle like this makes it so real that now you're able to take this struggle, share your experience, and help somebody else going through it? I mean, I can just imagine how before I went through the whole IVF journey or a miscarriage, you never think, Hey, I'm going to be part of this club. But now just the fact that you went through it, you're able to help someone else going through it. So it's kind of like a full circle, 360 circle as to the fact, 
you don't know why it happens to you, but now you're able to take that experience and help somebody else through it. It's truly rewarding. And I've, I mean, I've spoken with people literally across the world. There have been people that reached out to me from Belgium, from Egypt, from across the States and Canada. I had, when I was interviewing people for the book, I spoke with people in Europe and the UK and New Zealand. And it really is a global community that is, that's engaged in this. And I, I never could have imagined, and I've always been a guy who, let, who enjoys the work of a nonprofit and to be able to help those who need, who need a hand. Um, I, I live by a motto of what you put into life, you get out of it. I never could have imagined that it would make the impact it has. And I'm so thankful to have, to have this opportunity. There's no other way to put it. Um, you know, the, the, the TED Talk, the interviews, the, um, the book, it's all, it, these are just vehicles for this ultimate purpose. And I think so many of us look at our lives and figure out and see what is the purpose. And I'm fortunate to be able to, to have been able to find it. At, at, first of all, at an, early, at an early enough age where I have all my faculties to be able to, to handle it properly, but to be able to, um, to, help, to be living in the, in the time that we are, that I can have, that I can make these impacts to people that I've never, that no other way I would have ever spoken to or even dreamt of communicating with and it's truly a privilege to be able to 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 speak with your audience to speak with you to speak with the individuals who I have over the years and it's not something I'm planning on stopping anytime soon I really thank you for your time John and you know again if anybody wants to reach out to John please get a copy of his book I'm going to put it up on our website menshelpline.org as a resource um, I know it's also an audiobook on audible if you want to listen to it um, so guys, you're not alone here. I've gone through it. John's gone through it. Your neighbor probably has gone through it. We need to keep talk, keep the conversation open. Now is National Infertility Awareness Week. Um, so there's nothing to be ashamed about. There's nothing to be embarrassed about or to have guilt about. It's totally normal. You're not alone. Please keep the conversations going and and reach out if you want to talk about it, if you need help with it. We're here for you. John, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. You've just listened to another great episode of Men Talk with Daniel Landau. If you've suffered from miscarriage, infertility, stillbirth, or infant loss and want to open up about it, reach out. We'd love to have you on the show. You can also join our Facebook group, or if you'd like to get involved and start a chapter in your neighborhood, visit our website, www.menshelpline.org today. Until next week, stay strong, and remember, you're not alone.